you're unbelievable. Yo, it's the Crack House Podcast. My name is Michael Sullivan. Joining me as always, my man Chris Musky Muscalino. What was up with the dice? In the fucking unbelievable. It's a little uh, scratching. Uh, yeah. Mike, I got my uh, got my controller out. I was messing around before uh, we went live here. On the ones and twos. The ones and the twos. Oh, you know, a little bit of DJ speak, huh? That's all I know. The ones and twos. That's all everyone ever says anyway. Yeah, on the ones and the twos. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so what's going on, man? Anything good? Nothing much, man. We got uh, we got uh, I guess football Sunday. Me and Mike are taping late this uh, this week. Yeah. Um, technical issues and whatnot. A little some technical issues. No big deal. Uh, remember the uh, remember the hangover, Mike. If it's yeah. no big deal, <laughs> he goes, give me the money. <laughs> I think we talked about that once before about the um, about like the outtakes, like on YouTube and stuff. Yeah. Have you ever checked that out? Like the Ken Chow, um, uh, uh, the Leslie Chow, um, Ken Jeong uh, outtakes no. from The Hangover? What do they just have? Like they just let him roll, I guess. Right. I Dude, mean, most of those movies are like that. But that Dude. guy, uh, who's the guy that directed all those? Todd Phillips? He's big into like just I mean, he has all those comedians on in those movies <laughs> and he just like lets them roll pretty much. Dude, he's beyond hysterical, bro. He's just so funny. Like he he just like says the most impolitically <laughs> correct shit that you can ever like. Like if I even uttered half the shit that he said, uh, you'd have me in a box somewhere, you know, it's just but it's hysterical coming out of his mouth, man. He's he's uh, he's one of my favorites, man. He really but, is. I mean, that's one of those you could put it up there like iconic kind of like movie characters like that guy came out of because that guy really came out of nowhere. He, he did. was in like a few little things here and there. The guy, the guy's a doctor, for God's sakes. He's a smart, and, dude. And very fun. I think he won. There was some type of competition like world's funniest doctor or America's funniest doctor. Mm -hmm. And I I think he came in like second place. I don't even think he won, but his career just took off from that. He was on one of those shows like The View or Ellen or Dr. Oz, one of those shows where they had some competition like that. He came in like first or second place, I forget. And then his career just took off. Yeah, he's a really funny dude, man. I think in, in terms of like modern, modern classics, like we're always talking about the shit that we grew up with, like in the 70s and the 80s, like Animal House and, uh, you know, the Blues Brothers and all that stuff. And, you know, I mean, there's been great comedy flicks over the last, you know, last 50 plus years. But in terms of like modern classics in the 21st century, I think Hangover is probably uh, it's up there, man. It's up there in terms of like yeah. best uh, best comedies uh, of the last uh, last 25 years. Right. Yeah. I remember. Well, I don't remember much of it, but uh, there was a crew of us that saw Hangover, too. And those of you watching know who you are. And I think. Uh, that might have been one of the funniest nights I ever had going to the movies. I'll just leave it. at. I'm going to leave that story at that. But it was a very, <laughs> it was a very funny night. I'm just trying to take a crazy movie experiences that I've had. Like most of the stuff that I remember was like, you know, when we were kids with your, with your parents, with your dad and my dad, you know, RKL Keats, which we've, you know, we've touched on. Um, in modern day, man, I don't know if like there's been like a time where I've sat in a theater and like laughed my ass off. Um, I'm just trying to think, you know, nothing, nothing comes to mind. Nothing really comes to mind and in terms of comedies. Like I haven't really gone to theaters, you know, movie theaters in the last 30 years and watched comedies. It's more been like, you know, big, big production, like Avenger movies or, you know, uh, Star Wars movies, etc. Um, I think we were talking about this off air. Like, uh, have you checked out the Eternals, you know, as far oh, as, oh, no. I just, yeah, we were talking about this. The Eternals just came out. This is the net, the latest Marvel movie. <clears throat> oh, excuse me. Like, here's my thing, too, now. The, the DC hasn't done it yet, but Marvel now is just doing it where they're just throwing shit against the wall, I think, with these movies. It's like, let's just get every character we got and make a movie and see what happens. Gotcha. You know, like, did, did you really? I mean, you were a bigger comic book fan, I think, than me. And do you remember? Did you ever read The Eternals? Did you ever like know? You know, about I did. I had a couple. I had a couple of comic books. I mean, it wasn't too interesting. So I never really was, you know, too, uh, you know, too into it. But I'm aware of it. 
you know, I've definitely checked it out. Do I think it's going to do well? No. Uh, I, I just don't think it has that mass appeal. You know, I think for like regular non-comic book nerd type, non-nerd type people, um, no offense to anybody. Um, I just don't think it has that kind of appeal that, you know, the Avenger movies have, yeah. you know, uh, you know, you've got like tons of really big actors, like in those Avenger movies that kind of have cross sex appeal. Um, I just don't think that has any of it. And the story really isn't that interesting, Mike. I mean, it talks about the origins of the world, you know, the origins of the world and stuff dating back to like pre big bang theory type stuff. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, I had the comic books. I'm aware of it. I just don't think it's going to do very well. And yeah. I got to be honest with you, the reviews that I've read are just abysmal, man. <clears throat> yeah. Abysmal. Same thing. Yeah. It's the first Marvel movie ever to get a Rotten Tomatoes rating. Mm -hmm. um, I saw a thing on YouTube. I watch about it was about 20 minutes. I watch about 15 minutes of it where it, it basically it, it gives all the spoilers of the movie. And it is it's like it's the origins of how uh, they came to this planet and they're they were like protectors and they've been here forever and all of them they've all been involved uh one way or another in almost like every major world event uh it just goes through their head they've been here since like the dawn of time basically right but it, it like you like i said it doesn't seem like if you're a casual comic book fan you basically look at this as like it's a science fiction movie you know it's not even a comic book movie it's just a science fiction movie as far as i'm concerned right right and like, like you said, they, they, they packed it full of who's in it, Salma Hayek and uh, yeah, I, even know, I don't even know the actors or the actresses. And it. it's a lot of you know, I, I just know I'm not going to call them no names and stuff. No, Sa still. Salma Hayek and Angelina Jolie, I guess, are the two big names. OK. And the uh, what is it? The, there's a uh, what the hell was the show you love? Winter's Coming. Oh, Game, Game of, of Thrones. Thrones. There's a Game of Thrones dude in there. They kept uh, hyping up one of the big one of the biggies he's in the movie as well and i think they at from what i saw in this youtube video they tease him as becoming the black knight character eventually probably down the road in these movies hmm. uh, and then they got that that indian comedian kumal nanjiani who may or may not have done steroids for the role you can look at his before and after pictures <laughs> Dude, this guy got he was like this skinny indian comedian funny guy and then he got this role he is jacked who's the big indian co comedian like the one big guy that's always he's got shows and stuff aziz on sorry yes yes he's, sorry sorry he's, to my indian boys out there my indian friends uh well he's no big in name i think he's like five foot two or something like that he's a tiny little fella okay but uh yeah he's a big name russell peters is also indian he's a canadian indian i think comedian hmm. he's real funny I've seen I've seen his stuff on. Uh, is it supposed to be like a comedy or what? Or is it supposed to be I, like a? I I well, it seems like what the Marvel movies always do anyway is add in. They always sprinkle in the light comedy. So I'm sure there's going to be right. jokes here and there. And I'm uh, from, like I said, I saw this video like 20 minutes long. There's another video out. Supposedly, all this movie does is drop Easter eggs and teasers to every other Marvel character in the universe. Like mm. I, there's a there's a scene where one of the characters has a shield, so it's like a drop to uh, a nod to Captain America. I think there's like a Spider-Man reference. They, every character gets some type of reference or nod to them. Uh, you know, Mike, we were talking last night, you know, about like stuff that's overextended its welcome, whether it be a TV show that's ended on time, not on time. Do you think the Marvel universe and the and, and the Marvel movies have kind of overextended their welcome? You know, have they? Have they saturated the market? You know, I mean, you know, Sat the first Avenger, the first. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you're I, right. I was going to say, you know, like how many Avenger movies can you possibly make? Like I'm a big comic book guy. Like you, like you mentioned, you know, I've, I bought it, you know, I bought it when I was a kid, you know, as a kid, I into all the stories and stuff. But like at some point, when do you say, all right, man, you know, this is probably not the greatest of ideas, you know? Yeah, but. Uh Here's the thing. Oversaturated isn't under. They've Hurricane Katrina the market. Yeah. Both, and both sides. But you, we got to look at it, too. They've been given a license to print money with these movies. Yeah, I, I, to I, an extent. I, I don't think any of them have lost money, really. 
They, they, no. They, I mean, if the movie makes $300 million, they consider it a bomb. It's still $300 million. Yeah. Know? At the end no, of the I agree. Year. I agree. I just think at, at some point, you know, it's the law of diminishing returns. I mean, me and Mike were talking about, you know, TV shows that, you know, ended just on time, like Seinfeld and some that may have, you know, lasted a little bit too long, like uh, Sons of Anarchy, um, who Pani passed away, uh, I guess, the last couple of uh, couple days. Yeah, great character. Great you character. Know? Um, you know, Mike's got a great point, you know, at some point in time, you know, uh, you kind of kill like the plot line, you know, how many times can the gang, the motorcycle gang get out of trouble, you know, and avoid the, the cops and, you know, at some point it just, you know, it goes too long, you know, yeah, other shows I, I think have done it right, like the Sopranos. Um, I think even Sopranos went a little too long. Okay. Yeah, you can make an argument. You can make an argument. It was, it I was mean, a lot of times Tony was right on the verge. He was going to jail and. You know, some somebody disappeared or something just happened and it, it turned the tables for him. So I, I I think they're all great shows. But like like I said, when when you're making that much money and you got that much pressure on you to keep producing these shows to make money for people, you, you're going to start to turn out garbage after a while. You know? Right. I mean, speaking of which, I, I watched the first two episodes of season 11 of Curb Your Enthusiasm and um you know, look, I'm, I'm, I love Seinfeld. I think you made a great point when we were talking. I think that, you know, Seinfeld was probably one of the shows that ended just on, on target, you know, yeah. where a show like Friends maybe didn't. Um, I watched the first two episodes, Mike. They're moderately funny. Like, I like Larry David. I think he's a funny dude. You know, I'm kind of torn, you know, as far as, you know, whether or not, you know, it would be Curb or Seinfeld for me. I, you know, I'm, I like both equally. But I got to be honest with you, I think that, this last season or two with, with Curb, it goes into that, you know, slot where I think it kind of may have extended its welcome. He's he's like Fonzie now, man. He's jumping the shark, you know, and it, another it, show. Right. I, I mean, I did. I, I caught the first two episodes myself. I was like, OK, it, it had a couple of funny bits here and there. The Albert Brooks thing I thought was real good. Um, I think, too, from what I read, like the whole Albert Brooks episode kind of deals with uh COVID a little as you were like uh hoarding yeah a little bit yeah right right i think that might be their only reference to COVID in the whole uh series this year because i saw i saw one interview where they said they're really not going to get into it they said there's like kind of like one episode that deals with it and that's it but oh listen i think he's gotten he's gotten very political i mean as has most of hollywood um, I know we got into it, I guess, with one of Trump's lawyers a couple of months ago, a very close friend, Dershowitz, I think the guy's name is. Yeah. And uh, I guess he confronted him like in front of a coffee shop, just like lambasting the guy for like his support of Trump. And he's like, you know, Dershowitz said it. He goes, dude, you, you know, you sound unhinged. You know, it's like Trump's <laughs> Trump derangement syndrome to like the max. So uh, I, I guess on some level, David's a smart dude. So I, I guess he kind of figured maybe you know the best thing is not to you know mention politics so much yeah you know if that makes sense i mean he he had a great episode was it last year with the trump hat right the trump hat was a great episode okay we're standing by for a second but last year's episode the trump hat was a great episode how he either polarized people with it or made friends with it i thought it was uh a real funny show uh, no, I agree. Real funny episode. He's a, he's he's good, man. He's he's fucking Larry. Oh, you know, hey man, the guy's worth almost a billion dollars just making comedy. So, he, look, he's know. the brains behind Seinfeld. I mean, for those that don't know, he's the prototype for George. Yeah, I guess Costanza. You know, Jason Alexander. Um, I guess went in for an interview, and he was interviewing for the part. And I guess he was so good. David was like Larry. David was like, you know, you, you're a real asshole. And he goes. Well, my understanding is the part is you, right? He goes, uh, you know, this this character is kind of modeled after you. He goes, yeah, I get it. He goes, but you kind of over embellished it. You know, he kind of he goes, am I that annoying? Am I that irritating? It was a pretty funny interview. You know, basically, you know, Jason Alexander kind of over embellished the, the character, and uh, you know, I guess Larry did in his Larry David way was kind of ticked off that he did the character so good, knowing that that character was him patterned after him. Yeah. If you but, watch um, the early, if you watch early episodes of Seinfeld, like that first season, and I've seen what's his face, uh, George, uh, J 
Jason Alexander admit this. He goes, I was still trying to figure out the character. And if you if you listen to his voice, the first probably season, he's doing a Woody Allen impression almost every episode. He's got that. Oh, geez, what's going on? If you listen, yeah, 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 like, yeah. I, I get that. And he actually admitted that he goes, yeah, I was kind of doing Woody Allen because I didn't know where I was going with this. And I would talk to Larry about the character. And he goes, I was just trying to do my own thing. He was I think he was talking about it on Stern, like an old Stern episode. And then he got into the uh, the woman that played his fiance, Susan. Oh, he died it, with the mail. <laughs> yeah. But we found this out like years later after the show ended. He did not like her in real life. Supposedly, she rubbed almost the entire cast the wrong way, the wrong way. And Stern confronted him on it. He goes, what was up with what? I, I forget her name. He goes, what What was up with the woman that played Susan? And like you saw like his face like, oh, shit, here we go. And he was very diplomatic about it. He's just like, I guess we just had different styles of acting. And now this know, is David or uh, is this no, Alexander? This is Jason Alexander on an episode of uh, Howard Stern years ago. Okay makes sense makes sense i mean she she doesn't look like the most pleasant of people um you know i just go back and watch the old seinfeld you know i don't think we've ever really talked about it but in terms of like greatest new york city sitcoms is that up there is that number one mm, i don't know about number it's up there i don't know what would be the number i mean there's a really good one now that i've been watching um a succession which has gotten a whole bunch of awards about um, this guy who's like a Trump-like character who owns a huge conglomerate. He's got four kids, and I guess he's looking to retire, but not really retire. And it's really pretty interesting. Um, nobody have really known in terms of cast other than maybe uh, Cox, who plays the uh, patriarch. A couple of unknown actors, maybe uh, Culkin, Culkin. Yeah, Kieran Culkin's Culkin, uh, brother. Right? Yeah, Kieran Culkin. Um, but um, in terms of like best New York City uh, sitcoms, I mean, Seinfeld's got to be top five, I think, right? Seinfeld's up there. Okay. All right. Just says New York is the back. All right. Barney Miller. I thought was a great. I thought it's, as a cop, it's one of the funniest cop shows ever made, I think. Uh, um, but there's a New York back. There's a New York background. Um, what would be another good New York? I mean, it's Friends. Sex in the City. Sex. Yeah. You have. All right. There's all a show, all, all there's, in the family. Obviously. Yeah, all, all in the family. Billions. I was I, I watched Billions for a few years. Okay, I'll buy that. Uh, great New York back. He incorporated on that show. There is so much incorporated in the city as far as like, especially if you're like a foodie, like the restaurants. He would have celebrity chefs on the show because he was a billionaire, and if he wanted Wolfgang Puck to make him dinner, he'd fly Wolfgang Puck in, and like the guy would do a cameo, or he had all these billionaire investors. And New York was always a great. He he, they use New York so great as a backdrop in that uh, in that show. As it, it's almost like another character. Is Friends the number one New York City sitcom? Absolutely not. I was never, I, like, Friends, I'm not a big fan by any means. I hated the show to be honest with you. It, I thought it was. Uh, I hate I hate when people and, compare. Like there was a, there's always that like internet meme of what was the better show, uh, Friends or Seinfeld. Oh, it's, it's not, not even, even close. close. Yeah, it's not even close. I think most people would agree on that. But Friends was tremendously popular. I mean, whether or not I liked it or not, I mean, it was a, a you know huge backdrop for New York City. Um, you know, it had a, a huge run of success. You know, maybe as great as Seinfeld in some circles. You know, I think Seinfeld is obviously, well, in my opinion, I think more people prefer Seinfeld than Friends. But it's up there, man. You know, for like New York City centric type shows. I mean, uh, it's got to be there, right? I I think, too, though, it comes down to like uh, your age bracket, your age group. If you were in your early 20s or late teens watching Friends, you're going to love that more than Seinfeld. You know? I think, I think they it, were kind of out like that at the same time, though, right? I mean, Friends, I think, was like nice. It's like about a couple years before it, right? Friends came out like. 94, 95. Yeah. Seinfeld, I think, is 89. 89, right? Yeah. So kind of overlap for about three or four years. Yeah. But, I mean, at one point, I think they were on the same channel and the same night, if I'm not mistaken, Thursday yeah, night, yeah. right? Yeah. Which was... Uh, uh, Friends led into Seinfeld, I believe. 
I don't think you'll ever see something like that again in terms of like must-see television where you have a block of television for about two hours where, you know, you know you're glued and there's really no other options. I mean, think about Happy Days and Laverne yeah, and Shirley, we, uh, right? Yeah, but that's all too. Like we live in this, we cut the cord in one sense. You can DVR whatever you want. Right. We all watch. I mean, it's great now. You can actually watch television at your leisure now whenever you want to think about it. We're, we're talking right now in the games football games right football games are starting if i just hit a button right now as soon as we're done with this i'm gonna go watch the game live you know i'm gonna go watch it from the beginning i'm not gonna have to rewind anything i'm just gonna hit a button right right um, and and listen i have a good buddy of mine he he always uses the term feed the meter and you know feed the meter is a term that he uses and you know as far as you know, effectively canceling shows or not giving shows your your patronage and, you know, forcing them, you know, to, I guess, conform to your views or, you know, whatever it is. You know, what I mean by that is, hey, look, if you're a, if you're an arch conservative, you're not watching The View. If you're a bleeding heart liberal, you're probably not walk, watching Tucker Carlson, you know, and I think that the DVR age and, you know, the cutting of the cord, like you says, gives you the opportunity to kind of like really I guess form, you know, what's being presented to you, you know, yeah, to an you extent. Have, you have legitimately 500 choices a day yeah. of what to watch at any time. I mean, you know, between Hulu, Netflix, Amazon, uh, you like horror movies. What is it? That Shutter channel. There's a million channels to watch. And to you think. Can just, you can just go down. How many times have you just gone down a YouTube rabbit hole? And the next thing you know, it's like two hours later. And it's like, dude, I, I think back when we were kids, you know, I watched uh, I watched the X-Men Future Past again last night and they made a reference. You know, they had like these TVs and the guy's like, oh, only three choices, three networks. Wow. Oh, and by the way, PBS. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's come a long way. I mean, when we were growing up, I mean, at one point I remember going out to your, your vacation house out east and um, I remember watching like. Uh, like with the rabbit ears, you know, as far as like you, you were lucky to get like channel five or channel yeah. seven or something, you know, out there. Well, we were, we were like so far out. Well, not that far, but we, we were getting Connecticut channels, right? <clears throat> yeah. It was right across the sound and you would get like Connecticut channels. I remember watching, I guess the Mets, the, uh, the Mets, uh, Red Sox. No, no. It was the Mets Astros or it was the Red Sox, I guess, uh, angel series, the division series in 86. I remember we were at your house that year. And uh, we were like on some sort of wacky channel, Connecticut broadcast channel. Yeah. We were watching the broadcast from like the Red Sox point of view. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. made sense. But um, that's come a long way, man. I, you know, um, just going back into the political spectrum for a second. Our buddy Manny up uh, up five hundred and somewhat votes. Manny's an Eagle Scout from Troop Seventy, running for District Sixteen in uh, the Suffolk County Legislature. Um. He's got about 500 votes up. There's about 800 mail-in ballots uncounted. Uh, man, he's a great guy. He's a lawyer. He's a friend of Brian's, um, uh, Michael's brother's Kevin. Um, really, really solid guy. Family guy. He's got a lot of children. Very religious guy. Uh, hope he wins. You know, he's running on a lot of things that I support. He's not exactly in my district, Mike, but uh, I, hope, I hope he pulls it out. You know? Yeah. Manny, next stop. The White House, Manuel Manolio. Then back Chris in the day. and I, Chris and I, will be untouchable. <laughs> we will be we friends in high places, folks. I will be above the law. Uh, <laughs> above the law, Stephen Seagal, right? But yeah, yeah. Big Earn, Big Earn from uh, Kingpin. I'm above the law. I'm finally <laughs> above the law. Is that the one where he was screaming throughout the entire movie? Who killed Bobby Lupo? Anybody you know did Bobby Lupo? Anybody know where Richie is? That's just no, no, no. <clears throat> yeah, that's, no, that's Alpha Mark Justice. No, Alpha Justice. Is that Alpha Justice or Mark for Death? No, Mark for Death is the uh, Jamaican posse. Screwface. Oh, Screwface, man. man. You know, Screwface has four eyes and two heads, man. <laughs> that was one of the coolest twists at the end when it's like, oh, shit, he had a twin brother. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. That was a great movie. No, the Scott movies were good, man. He had he had like two or three good ones, and then I mean now they're just like horrific. 
Oh no no bad bad. Yeah, yeah. I think the one the one on the boat that kind of mirrored like the uh, Sandra Bullock uh, train or bus movie. It was Die Hard on a boat. Oh, it, was, it was bad. It was bad. Tommy Lee Jones too. That was a Tommy Lee Jones was in that. Gary Busey, I think, is in that one. Right 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 right. And there were a few. Uh, you know, I I kind of lump him like like in the same bracket as like John Claude Van Damme. You know, Van you know. Van Damme had really like one or two really good movies, and then it went down really, really. Yeah, they, they they were the second tier guys, you know. You know, if you like, how good was Bloodsport? Bloodsport, you break great... my record? No, I break you. Uh-huh. <laughs> Chong Lee, Chong, Chong Lee, dude, Chong. he's great, man. Like he was, uh, you know, for those that don't know, Chung Lee is uh, this actor, Bolo uh, Young, Bolo yeah. Young, and he was in uh he was in Enter the Dragon, dude, yeah. in like nineteen seventy two. Dude, all those like him, Jackie Chan, I think, is in Enter the Dragon as well as like an extra. Okay, makes sense. Like all of those dudes. Who's the other guy? The big fat dude, Sammo Hung, that <laughs> he had his own TV show for a while. He's right. a big director, actor over there. All of those guys, like, all kind of like started out with Bruce Lee in the 70s. And, you know, Bruce Lee became Bruce Lee. And these guys slowly just worked their careers up in Asia. And then finally broke into the American markets, you know, dude, the, wildly entertaining. But then there was like a cyborg movie that John Claude Van, went uh, made it was just so bad. I mean, yeah, it was called Cyborg. <laughs> oh, my God. So I bad, saw bro. I saw that with Paulie at the Astoria. I remember we went to go see it. So it bad. But I tell you what, I enjoyed Time Cop. And that was that was a couple years Time later. Time Cop was a good movie. I want to say Cyborg. I saw something about it. It was so bad bad it was like the way it was produced it was supposed to be another movie and they actually splice scenes from other there's something on youtube if you look up cyborg there's some whole weird story behind it about how it was made and and they made a sequel with before she got real huge angelina jolie there's a cyborg really yeah it's like right before she got super famous i think she's the cyborg too so bad bro so bad. yeah, you know what I was watching last night uh, on a different note. I was watching the um, I don't know if you had a chance who shot the sheriff, the Bob Marley documentary. No, I didn't see. Have it you yet. checked it out? I'm a big Bob Marley fan, man. You know, from my Jamaican one, friends it, out there. Is that on but Showtime? It's on Netflix, actually. Netflix. OK. And, uh, you know, basically it just gets into like the I guess the uh, the backdrop of Marley and how influential he was in Jamaica and I guess how you know, potentially the CIA might have been involved in, you know, um, an attempted assassination of him, you know, to kind of suppress him because they were afraid at some point that I guess in the 70s, Jamaica was completely out of out of control, you know, in terms of like, you know, there was a lot of shit going on there. You know, my buddies who I'm, you know, who are Jamaican, who, who you know, who I'm really, really friendly with probably could tell you more. But I guess the U.S. was, you know, kind of concerned that Jamaica was going to become another Cuba and, uh, the Rastafarian religion and Mali, I guess they were singing and, you know, saying a lot of revolutionary type shit. And I guess the theory goes that the CIA, in order to suppress the movement, uh, I guess there was a, a major election back in the day, like in 76 or 77, where, you know, the socialist candidate was really getting a lot of steam. And uh, it's pretty interesting, man. I mean, I've read a lot about Mali. Um, he's like right up there with Strummer in terms of my all time favorites. You know, it's just a shame how he died. Like, if you ever watch documentaries on the guy's life, I guess the Rastafarian religion has, you know, very specific ways on how to handle, like, I guess, medical illnesses and stuff. I think he was playing soccer at some point, and he he had a toe injury that eventually developed into gangrene, and they caught it way too late. They tried to amputate the foot, and I guess eventually he passed away because it spread to the rest of his body. Guy was a really young dude too, like 31, 32 years old when he passed away. I thought he had wow, man. I always thought it was cancer that killed him. It was kind of it was kind of like a mix of both, but it was like more the gangrene, you know, uh, the gangrene, you oh, know. Wow. I didn't know that. You know, they just wait they let it they let it spread and you know, <clears throat> I guess, you know, the, when they could have caught it, they they he kind of treated it like in a in a way like maybe a Scientologist would in their religion, you know? Yeah, what's the as, other? Oh, who's the yeah. other one? Um, the Val Kilmer documentary is the same kind of thing. Right. Christian, uh, Christian scientists. Like yeah. You don't. That's it, man. I think Mormons too kind of have a thing like that where they're like, you're sick, I don't you're know, sick, man. man. And that's it. Like God will, God will find a way. 
I don't know. Does that stuff like kind of translate into like the vaccine type stuff? I mean, can you can you kind of get around that? You know, if you're a Mormon or a Scientologist well, that, or well, there's that whole thing now. Well, if you don't want that shot or the the vaccine or whatever, I think you can say I have medical uh religious exemptions. I'm sure that's on there. I'm sure there's a list of these religions uh, reject modern medical science. Like, let's all right, you're Amish or a Mennonite. They still think it's 1505, man. They don't know the what a thing, vaccine is. The only thing I know about the Amish is witness with Harrison Ford with Kelly McGillis back in 85 when yeah. he plays the detective and he kind of goes undercover in an Amish uh, society. And I guess he's hiding away from like corrupt cops. Danny Glover. That he was working with. What? Danny Glover is the corrupt cop. Oh, right, right, That's right. That's like a young pre-lethal weapon, Danny Glover. And I think the police chief or the the, the, the captain in Beverly Hills Cop is in there too. Oh, uh, Ronnie Cox? Yeah. Bogomil? Bogomil. <laughs> Dude, he had a good career. He was a dude. That dude was in uh, what the fuck? Uh, the the banjo rape movie, Deliverance. Oh, remember he's the first one to die. Oh, he gets killed. Now that that movie bothers me, man. Especially when I go down to see my relatives in the Carolinas. Like you go through like some of those uh those areas, dude. It's messed up, man. Like usually I take like I eighty one down to like uh, Charlotte, or you know, I cross and go down eighty seven. If you go down eighty seven. You kind of go through like West Virginia and I never forget, man, we were driving. Look, it's like you're in a freaking different country, man. Besides like the civil war stuff that's up there still, you know, I remember driving and there's like mountains and shit. And my wife's like, Oh, look, there's, there's a cross up on that mountain. And I'm like, that's not what you think. That's a KKK cross. That's no good, man. You know, it's like huge. It's like on the side of this mountain as you're driving down West Virginia, dude, it's like, I don't know if you've ever traveled by car, you know, outside yeah. maybe the scouts you know to the no, south I, and shit. I, I go to virginia every year man if you go I, down I, if you go down i-95 you're not going to see that stuff no but if you I, go the other way yeah if you, go go to the, the, if you, go, if you cut across pennsylvania yeah that's go down into yeah, yeah. Dude, you see a but, lot of funky stuff man a lot a lot of billboards that saying jesus will save your life and jesus. uh <laughs> and then there's a lot of crosses oh dude look at i just looked up the movie witness yeah in that movie he's Vigo Mortensen. Oh, okay. Lord of the Rings. He plays Moses Hockeleitner. He plays yeah. one of the Amish guys, actually. Uh, yeah. I think. Uh, yeah, is yeah. He he's the, guy, the, is he he's the, the tough. Who, he's the tough Amish guy. Yeah, is he the one in love with like Kelly McGillis? I think. I think so. Okay. It was but a good movie, yeah, man. But yeah, like you said, uh, like when you go down, yeah, driving down those back roads. There are times, man, you're like, Ooh, dude, I, I, I'm not in New York City anymore, man. No, no way, man. I mean, I remember getting out in West Virginia and I, I've, you know, I shaved my head many, many, many years ago. I got out at this rural gas station that reminded me of something where we were in the Boy Scouts and stuff. And, uh, you know, I got my, I have no hat on and, you know, I'm wearing sunglasses and this other dude, they must've been neo-Nazis, Mike, but you know, they're looking at me, you know, my family's in the car. And they nod at me like, and I'm thinking to myself, dude, I'm not with you, but I'm going to nod back because I don't want any freaking problems here. You know, there's <laughs> outside this gas station, there's really nothing for like 50 miles and I don't need to be shanked or, you know, whatever. So I just nodded back. I got in the car and Audrey's like, what, what was that about? I go, those guys got to be Nazis, bro. They got the shaved heads. They got like the, the whole gear and stuff. And they looked at me and they're looking, well, maybe he's a little bit dark, but I guess he can pass, <laughs> pass for one of us. Did they call you brother? Hey, brother. Hey, brother. How are you, brother? <laughs> Dude, it's like a different world, man, when you travel down there. It really yeah. is. Dude, I'll tell you a weird story. When I was in California, I, uh, I have a shamrock tattoo on my calf. Okay. Right? Typical dumb Irish guy moved the shamrock tattoo on the calf. I had a crew cut at the time. And we're in uh we're in Disneyland in California, and this one dude just kept staring at me. I had a I had a crew cut and a goatee. I looked like uh like I was like Ed Norton thought, in American History X. Or he thought you were uh, one of the guys from U two. 
But the guy just kept staring at me and staring at me. And he would look at my leg and stare at me. I think he thought I was in the Aryan Nation. Because <laughs> that's like one man, of their It's really things. crazy, it's, man. It's, yeah, like, that's the thing, man. Being in New York, you don't know, like, the only white gang you know in New York is the mafia. Like, right. you don't realize it as you go out. There's like, yeah, there's neo-Nazis, the KKK, some the of Aryan my best Brotherhood, the biker gang. Like, we don't have white biker gangs really. You know what it is, Mike? You know, I... I have really good friends with Jamaican or African-American, whatever. And it's like, we talk about this, man. And they're like, yo, Musk, you know, you're different, man. I go, what do you mean? They, you know, you, you're not like one of these regular, you know, racist assholes, you know? And I'm like, I think a lot of them, you know, in the conversations that we've had, it just stems from where we grew up, you know, like Astoria, Queens. It's just like so diverse. Like, even if you had any leanings towards that, you kind of, you just got exposed to so many different cultures. It was just like really impossible, I think. You know, on a lot of levels to you know you know develop a certain way you know i mean i mean how many different cultures how many different people you know that you encountered when we were growing up i mean it was crazy other than mcclancy which you know to be honest with you was like playing for the boston celtics in the 80s <laughs> you know i mean and then when i got to st john's university it was the same deal you know it's just like you went from really a diverse cultural mix you know in historia to like a diverse cultural mix at St. John's University where you had all, all sorts of people, you know? So I just think a lot of these places, man, you don't get that kind of exposure. And it's like, you know, I guess the old adage is you fear what you don't know, right? That kind of yeah, deal. Definitely. Because, yeah, yeah. I, I felt like that when I, uh, like like you said, when, we, when growing up in a story, you had pretty much like, I think every country in the world was represented in that neighborhood. Like we went to school with kids from like every part of Central America. Yeah. Uh, we, we went to Catholic school and had like Indian kids in our class. Sure. Had, you know, we had Greek Orthodox kids in our class because there were so many Greek Orthodox in Astoria. They couldn't fit them into all the Greek Orthodox schools. They wanted to come to our schools. I so, think I remember Bob Costas saying it back in one of the big sports shows. Astoria has the largest Greek population outside of Athens in the world. Yeah. I mean, think well, about that for a second. Yeah. I, I told this to a few people that live in Astoria now. Like, you don't know at one time they wanted to change Ditmars to Athens Avenue. Athens Avenue, right. Yeah, sure. Remember that back in the 80s? Like, every every storefront was in Greek. Every storefront was either in Greek or had that little sign that says, we speak Greek inside. Right. So. No, listen, man, I mean, uh, you know, for those that grew up in Queens or even Brooklyn to an extent or, or the Bronx, I mean, I'm sure each of the boroughs has their own little place. I just felt like Queens, you know, I've been throughout New York State. I've been throughout the city just like you. I mean, you can go from like a completely Greek, you know, uh, a town like Astoria. You can go to incredibly, you know, Asian population in Flushing, right? Yeah. You know, where it's the same deal. You know, you're walking down Main Street and you got stuff in Chinese and whatever. You know, Korean, you know, and just doesn't face you. You know, it's like, yeah, you're just used to it. You grew up you're just there. used to it. You grew up with it, you know, but I think, you know, for someone down south or like in the Midwest, I mean, that must be like, what, you know, where yeah. the F am I? Yeah. You know, um, and conversely, like, like when I'm driving and I see Jefferson Davis Highway and I see crosses, three crosses, like on a huge mountain in West Virginia, I'm thinking to myself, cool. Yo, I'm, you're not in Kansas anymore, Toto. <laughs> I really got to watch what I say down here. Nah, it's it's wild, man. You know, even Texas, like I've been to Texas a couple of times. You don't get that down in Texas. Texas is like, um, it's like almost like a different version of New York, except with a cowboy twist, if that makes sense. The food's I, good. The people are fast, fast paced. Um, but I think, really, too, well, let me ask you this. <clears throat> Where have you gone in Texas? Where have you been? All the major cities. I've been to mm -hmm. Houston, That's San Antonio, Dallas, okay. Austin. Okay. okay. I wonder what it's like if you drive an hour outside those cities. You know what I'm saying? Um, Houston I, I, Houston I think, reminded me of Brooklyn. It reminded I, me of Brooklyn and it reminded me of like Manhattan, you know, like lower Manhattan. Yeah, and but, I can tell you, if you go to some of the suburbs, I think the suburbs of Houston aren't bad. I think like if you go to the suburbs of San Antonio, it's not great. Whereas the city's beautiful. But no, no, but, what I'm I mean what I mean about that is most I think most major metropolitan cities, you're gonna get a very diverse mix. 
It's when you go outside those cities is where you might encounter like the three crosses on the uh, on the mountain or, you know, people who don't think the way you think or are going to have definitely there's going to be like one giant group of people with their opposing views to your views or vice versa or whatever. You I didn't get I'm that. In I didn't get that in Texas. I really didn't, Mike. The only place that I think where you you may kind of get that and not so much burning crosses or any of that crap, but um, Austin, Austin's really a diverse place. Well, that's like the village. My brother, my brother, Brian just got back from there and he said great, he's, great town, man. I mean, if you're, if you're looking to hang out, I mean, that's what he said. He said he loved it, but he just said there's a zillion homeless people down there now. There's a that's lot of homeless, a lot of drugs. I mean, I think we talked about this off air maybe last night about heroin. You know, look, I went there with the company that I worked for maybe three or four years ago, maybe longer, right? And uh, great nightlife, probably right up there with anything that I've been to, you know, New York City, New Orleans, uh, Nashville. But um, I got I got to tell you, like in terms of like homeless, I mean, the, the people laying on the street, who's shooting up and, you know, as you walk into the bar, that kind of crap. Yeah. I guess at 12 or 1 o'clock at night, what they do is they they bring out the horses like they do in New Orleans. And the cops ride down this uh, the main strip in Austin, Sixth Street, and they kind of shut the place down. Yeah, you know, it's a, a nice place to visit. To live, yeah. no, no. Um, I think places like San Antonio. I think they've got a very high uh, military um, presence. I didn't get that like racist bullshit that you see like in the southeast to an extent. Um, as far as Dallas, Dallas to me was. It's a very small city. Yes. Uh, reminded yeah. me reminded me a lot of Long Island, to be honest with you. Yeah, it's a lot of driving to get everywhere or everything's right. just in one spot. I remember going there years ago for a game and uh just walking around. Everything was in like one spot. That was it. We got you know, we we got dropped off. We were in one spot, that was it. And you know, any bar you wanted to go to, any club you wanted to go to, everything was just right there. Right there, right. Yeah. I mean, even even it was even more spread out than Los Angeles. I mean, Los Angeles has got parts where Yeah, you gotta you know Los you Angeles gotta, is a car city, yeah. You know, yeah. You, you need a car to live in LA. But um no, I didn't get that. I didn't get that in Texas at all. I really didn't. Houston is like I said, Houston reminds me of a city up here. You know, it's a big city. Uh downtown Houston reminded me of Brooklyn, Manhattan, that kind of deal. Um, San Antonio, I mean, I just didn't see that kind of stuff, man. You got a heavily Hispanic population there. Um, dude, it feels like you're in a cowboy movie. I mean, like literally, like if you, you know, think about Young Guns or any of the old time Clint Eastwood movies, like I'm walking around San Antonio, like it goes from like a completely metropolitan city to like all of a sudden smack the Alamos there. And it's like, you know, you're walking down these streets and it's like, it's weird, man. It's like you expect like a gunfight to break out. You know, it's like yeah, one of those. I watched something on the the travel channel. It was a travel channel or something else where they were selling houses down there. Yeah. Houses are very cheap, I guess. Yeah. They were showing some of these streets. There's like, it's like tumbleweeds. It Dude, looks it's crazy, like, man. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like an old West kind of town or like these, these buildings are from like the 1920s and haven't been updated at all. Right, 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 so, right. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, just the real estate in general, man. When you go outside New York, you can't believe what, what you, you can, get. Yeah, what you get for your money. Like, But here's the deal, man. Like, you're not going to see the appreciation that you do in New York. I mean, look, especially on Long Island, which encompasses Queens and Brooklyn, like my wife likes to say, you're living on an island and the land is, you know, finite. You know, so at some point in time, it's just it's simple supply and demand. You know, people move out of New York because it's just too damn expensive, the cost of living. I get it. But in terms of like, you know, the way that your father or my father or my grandfather, your grandfather made out in real estate, you just in most areas in this country, no matter how cheap you can buy, you're probably not going to see that kind of appreciation. Oh, Meaning no, like no, no. No, you're not going to you're not going to buy a property for fifty thousand dollars in some of these places and watch it go to a million dollars in 50 years. You know, it's just not happening. It all. It, yeah. You have to get very lucky with that. You have you to do. get very you have to get very lucky where like you, you know. Hey, Chris, man, let's go half on 10 acres in Wisconsin and we just buy it and just sit on it. And then Google all of a sudden says we're going to build a giant uh, warehouse in Wisconsin. We're going to build think, our offices there and we own that land. And they say, here's a million bucks. I think places where, you know, That's it's comparable it. to New York in terms of real estate, you know, as far as at least, you know, maybe uh, speculation. 
would be parts of California, parts of yeah. Florida, which is very cyclical, right? Um, but I just, you know, I've been throughout the country, Mike, for the most part. I mean, there's some places I haven't been to Chicago, actually. That's one of the few places I haven't gone to. But, um, you know, in terms of real estate, I, I've spoken to people who live in different areas. I've got a good buddy of mine who lives in Indiana, uh, married a woman whose uh, family is very big into real estate up in Syracuse. You know, he does well in Indiana, but I mean, the amount of money that he, you know, he makes is probably pales in comparison, at least percentage wise to what he would do if he had the wherewithal to buy in New York, you know, at least parts of New York, I should say. Um, same thing with the Southeast. You know, my relatives have been in Charlotte, North Carolina for the last 20 plus years. You know, you could buy a house super cheap in Charlotte. You know, it's a beautiful city. I mean, it's not really my cup of tea, but it's a nice place. Um, especially if you're looking for a cost to cut a cost of living. But oh yeah, yeah. If you're looking to buy a house for two, two fifty, and you think in 10, 15 years that thing is gonna go to half a million, seven fifty, you're gravely mistaken, man. It ain't happening. You know? Um, you'll probably see moderate appreciation, three to five percent, you know, which I gotta be honest with you, for a lot of people and even our parents, our grandparents and yeah. stuff, a lot of their nest egg and a lot of the wealth that they they've, you know, passed along is due to real estate. It's not even stocks and bonds where a lot of wealth is created as well. But, you know, for people that don't come from money, I would tell you that real estate, even more so than stocks and bonds, is just the way to go. Yeah, I had a kid years ago. He was a he was a rookie when I worked in Queens and the kid was a real estate agent before he became a cop. He wound up quitting and going back to real estate back to real estate because he made more money. But he said the exact same thing you did. He goes, if you're a guy that doesn't have much of an education, I mean, you got to cut. You're a college guy. I'm really not. But he goes, if you're a middle class guy that doesn't have a lot of money, maybe not that savvy with the stock market, he goes, real estate is the way to go. Absolutely. He goes, goes, I've seen guys with GEDs become millionaires in like five years. I mean, think about it, Mike. I mean, I have a small stock account that I trade. You know, I kind of know what I'm doing. I'm up about 65, 70% this year on a small amount of money. It's nothing crazy. Um, If you do the math, on something that like my grandfather bought. My grandfather bought a home. He bought the, I guess the, the building in Astoria, probably 1955-ish, give or take. And I think the house at the time was worth $50,000. They're talking, my family is talking about selling that place now for close to 2 million. So yeah. in, in, in my greatest years in trading stocks, you know, I've done well, you know, and I've had, I've taken my beatings too. I can't compete with that, man. Yeah. You know, and I'll tell you what, when I was a broker years ago and speaking to really wealthy people, I would get these guys, these construction guys who allowed a lot of money, developers, that kind of deal. And they, they would give me what's called FU money, you know, like what 10 or 20 bucks would be to somebody yeah. like us or, you know, 50 bucks or 100 bucks, whatever it is. And they would give me a little bit of money to trade. But, you know, when I realized what their worth was, I would always press them to invest more. And I remember a couple of them just saying to me, like, Chris, you know, you could hit it out of the park for me stock market wise, but you're never going to compare to what I can do in real estate. Yeah. yeah. You know? So, you know, even Trump going back to the day, I mean, you know, you want to say that his father gave him a ton of money. He did, you know, but a majority of their money was built on real estate. You know, that's how they built that, yeah. that thing up. Father was incredibly wealthy. I'm not making him out to be any genius, you know, even though I do, you know, I, I do lean towards him. But the reality of it was, I mean, if you read his books, his books are all predicated on him investing in real estate. I think yeah. down in Florida, he did. He built up um, a whole bunch of developments. Um, and for the immigrant class and for the middle class, you know, like you said, that guy who said it to you years ago, I'm saying it to you. I mean, it's the best investment that you'll ever made. I mean, in terms of me leaving New York, my wife and I spoke about it at one point. You know, we were talking about maybe potentially going to Charlotte or, or the uh, Southeast at some point. And I'm like... You know, when you really cut it down to Mike, you know, when you retire, I mean, you're a cop, so you got a good pension, your wife works, you know, you have a house. For a lot of people, I don't have a pension. My wife has one that kicks in at 55. But the reality of it is, like, even with my 401k, you know, a majority of my retirement is going to be, and my flexibility is going to stem from the appreciation that I got, that I bought in my home, which I bought, what, 15 years ago? And what, it's 10, 20... 30, 40, I'm up, I'm up probably about, uh, about 35, 40% on my investment. You know, I live here, you know, but, you know, in terms of the appreciation of my home in dopey little Long Island, Smithtown, 
I mean, homes have gone from a median average of like 350, I guess, 15, 20 years ago to like close to 600 now. You know, you're just not getting that in the stock market. And, and going back to our conversation about different areas, you're not really getting that in a lot of places outside of maybe like hitting it, you know, the right time in Florida, which is incredibly cyclical, you know, hitting a place like California, you know, in the right time. I mean, we, we have a friend of the family, I guess, on my mother's side that I guess one of the guys that we know, one of my uncle's brothers, he moved out to Sacramento, I guess, back in early 90s. You know, I guess he bought a place for about 250, 300 grand, something like that. Places, you know, in Silicon Valley, I mean, it's worth well over $2 million now. I mean, you're not getting that in Iowa. You're not getting no, that in no, Indiana. No. You're not getting that in, you know, no, North Carolina it's, it's, or it's South Carolina. About, it, it comes down to like all about being lucky too. Like I said, the next big place, a friend of mine who's an accountant, I don't know why we're still talking about this shit. He said Detroit. He goes, you want to become a millionaire? Start buying invest in Detroit. Yeah. Invest in Detroit because it's all basically gutted right now, and companies are going to start going there. It's going to turn into a trade hub, uh, kind of like, like the uh, corporation like, from RoboCop, right? Yeah, Omni Consumer Products. But <laughs> he was saying like, like that's where Google is going to build another warehouse, probably. Okay, it's going to be another like hub of Google, Amazon, whatever, whatever companies. That's the, the land is just going to be so cheap. So now, if you, you know, say you did buy something for 20 grand and now Amazon turns around and goes, we'll give you 500 grand for the land. OK, yeah, that's a nice little investment. I mean, look, so, you probably you could probably buy a pretty decent house for under 100 grand still in Detroit, you know, kind of like oh, a, you could buy a house. I know a guy that was looking into flipping and I think he bought one house for like nine thousand dollars. Yeah, but it's a shell of a house. Right. And I think there's. All those things with like flipping houses and just buying these shells. I noticed too, there's a lot of like little caveats when you sign the paperwork. Like there are some places where you buy the, okay, you buy this house, it's a shell and your goal is to flip it or whatever, or just hold on to it. Maybe waiting for a big buyout. There are things where you actually, if you buy that house, you have to do work to it. Mm. You can't just leave it there. It's It has to be, uh, I think a house in like a livable condition. I think is what it's called. And you actually have to, you know, now you spent 10 grand on the house. Now you might have to spend another 35 to 40 just to make it livable. So before I left the brokerage business, you know, one of the things I kicked around was like, I guess, putting real estate investors together, pooling money and buying apartment buildings. Like I guess the story in Manhattan, yeah. that kind of deal never materialized. I had a couple guys that were into it, but you know, it, it, it's a good thought, man. I mean, listen, I may do it again at some point. You know, we got a guy, Jay, who's big into the real estate market, you know, and use him, you know, and his expertise. But uh, there's definitely there's definitely investment opportunity in this country. There always is when it comes to real estate. Um, going back to uh, Omnicorp, though, and Robocop, I, I checked out a um, checked out a couple things lately. Uh, have you ever seen the movie Chappie, Mike? That's kind of like a cross between Robocop and. Uh, That's the one with Hugh Jackman, right? Or yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've seen bits and pieces of it. I, don't think I, I really enjoyed that. that one. I saw another one last night where it's not exactly like it. It's a Keanu Reeves, uh, 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 Keanu uh, movie, uh, Replica. Uh, I didn't see that one. So Replica is about artificial intelligence where Keanu is a scientist whose family dies. And he, what he's doing is he's experiencing, he's experiencing and transferring the human neural map way into a robot. And basically, this military guy, he passes away, I guess, you know, he dies in, in, uh, in, in battle. They try to transfer his consciousness into, uh, into a robot. They end up doing it, kind of like RoboCop, you know, on a much le a higher level. And the guy flips out and he kills himself. Um, his family ends up dying. Keanu's family ends up dying, I guess, in a, um, in a car accident. And I guess what he does is he kind of secretly transfers their consciousness into robots, which eventually become rec replicas of him. And it's pretty interesting. I mean, there's another one that's coming out, or I think Brian, I think, uh, sorry, I think you mentioned uh, Finch with Tom Hanks. Yeah, I think it's out already. He saw it. He said it was, uh, he said it was, it was good pretty movie. good, right? Yeah. Um, you know, um, I actually saw the movies that made us. They had a really good thing about RoboCop, too. Uh, I think we talked about that at one point. That was yeah. a really good movie. Yeah. That one, the, the original, yeah, it was supposed to be, what was it? It was supposed to be X rating at one point. It was super violent. And, and again, one of those movies that maybe didn't deserve a sequel. 
maybe stayed it's you know stayed a little bit yeah, too yeah. long right you know kind of like um, well they i mean they really made that a franchise in a sense of what was it it was three well you had the three original movies right they rebooted it about five years ago and then i think there was a couple of tv movies and a series and a okay. cartoon yeah makes sense i i don't know how it became a cartoon because the movies were just so brutal and over the top right 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 no i agree i agree i just think some movies and some shows like besides ending you know you should leave well enough alone like i think the best one that didn't make a sequel was point break you know i think that that movie ended on such a good note they yeah. talked about a sequel but i mean realistically i mean if you made a sequel it kind of destroys the ending to an extent, you know, it's a, it's like one of those Sopranos type ending, you know, to the I, guy. Mm, I, I, you're absolutely right. And I'll play devil's advocate. I think if Patrick Swayze would, it was still alive today. I think just for the money grab, they would do it. They would have done it already. And I think he, cause think about their, Okay, think about Keanu's career. He had some bombs in like the early. Besides, once the Matrix was done, the movies he did after that, a bunch of them were like bombs. And then John Wick resurrected him like eight years ago or whatever it was. So he had a big gap of not doing it. That forty-seven Ronin samurai movie he made was horrible, horrible, horrible. movie. <laughs> he had a bunch of bombs. Patrick Swayze's career before he passed away, unfortunately, was kind of on the. The on down, the down, uh, yeah, on the downside. On the downside. So yeah. I definitely could have seen a sequel being made. Like there was a sequel. Did you know there was a sequel to Backdraft? It was no, on. It was on Netflix. I think the only original character that came back for it was Billy Baldwin. Oof. It was. I gave the movie ten minutes. It was absolutely horrible. We talked about this last night, you know, as far as like uh, there's a David Chase interview right now out there that kind of confirms that Tony got killed, you know, and, you know, you mentioned it, you know, if Gandolfini was alive, I think, you know, part of the reason why that he did it. Number one, he said in the interview, he goes, listen, you know, people rooted for this guy for seven years. He goes, I found I found it wildly offensive that they wanted to see this guy's brains blown out in front of his family and his head down in, in, in a plate of linguine. He goes. But I also think what you said is there's an element too in the sense that if Gandolfini was alive and like you see with this current movie, I mean, there's money to be made, you know, there's money to be made yeah. in revisiting the character. And if he's dead, you know, you can't really, you have a whole storyline that's kind of cut off and the same deal with Point Break, you know, it's up there in the air. Did he, did he swim out and go into the biggest wave in a hundred years or 50 years, whatever it was or, and die, or did he get away, you know, and. I don't know. To me, uh, you know, part of the allure of the movie is the ending, which is phenomenal. It's yeah. one of the best endings, you know, that I I I've thought of. Um, just because it just goes back to the original conversation, Mike, that we had as far as overstaying your welcome, whether it be TV show, movie, etc., um, even politics. You know, <laughs> I mean, we talk about it a lot on the show. I mean, there's politicians that probably stay a little bit too long, whether you're a congressman or a president. You have term limits, obviously, in some cases, but. You know, I think sometimes these people's personalities, you know, on either side of the spectrum is gratings for people. Um, you know, I think some more than others. And I think some, their shelf life is, you know, much shorter than others, in some cases longer. But um, what do you think of this Aaron Rodgers thing? You know, as far as... Uh, I just read a great quote from him. Okay. Uh, right before we start, he goes, basically, he said, I don't give a shit about CNN. I don't give a shit about Fox. I don't give a shit about politics. I don't care how he goes. The right is going to hold me up as this poster child of defying the government. And he goes, the left is going to vilify me. And he goes, I don't give a shit about either one of them. I'm not into politics. I, I, I do me. Do I think he was writing what he did in lying? Absolutely not. And I do think he should be punished for it, though. That, that, I agree, that's, how I, that's how I feel about the guy. And listen, I read the same quote. And, and listen, I, I think I kind of fall in that boat. I think you do. I think a lot of the audience that we, you know, may be listening to are in the same boat. You know, they try to, you know, they have their political leanings. But, you know, on some level, you know, you try to do you, right? Um, the one thing I don't like about him, he's a very arrogant guy, number one. Uh, number two, he's a very smug guy. 
Number three, when it comes to stuff like that, I just think there's, a again, a tremendous hypocrisy that goes on with the NFL in the sense that, you know, you're crucifying some of the lesser-known players for not getting vaccinated, like up in Buffalo with Cole Beasley. Yet here you got this guy lying, the fact that he got vaccinated. And then he kind of tries to backtrack it in terms of like, well, I'm immunized. Well, what what does that mean? Did you get the vaccine? No, you didn't because he felt that two of them had ingredients that wouldn't react well to his body, which I understand. He didn't want to take the welfare Johnson Johnson one that uh, I guess Chris Rock, uh, you know, one of the uh, Kevin Hart, I think, uh, makes fun of or Chappelle makes fun of one of those guys. And, um, you know, on the same level, I mean, he's probably going to skate, Mike. He's probably going to get better. He's going to play. Maybe he'll get a fine, but I can't see Goodell in the NFL, you know, you know, pulling a, a situation where they, they, they sit him down for two or three games, you know, um, I don't know. Very weird. I know we were going to talk about the world series too, a little bit, you know, I know we're probably I, pressed for time, but yeah, we're running low, but yeah, I, I, <clears throat> I think if the, if this guy Goodell wants to be tough, you gotta, you definitely have to make this guy sit for a little bit. You have I don't to. think it happens. You have to. You're probably right in that sense, but he's got, you know, then he's basically saying it's a free for all, whoever you are. He basically said to every player in the league, if, if Aaron Rodgers doesn't get punished for this, whether it be a, a massive fine or suspension of games, then why would you have a vaccine? Then don't have a vaccine mandate. Don't have well, a vaccine. I got news for you. It's, <laughs> being, it, it, it's it, being appealed. It's being appealed in a lot of states right now. And, you know. I, I, I get that. But if you're a company like the NFL saying you have to have this and this guy lied, he didn't say yes. He just lied. That's he flat he out lied. lied. Right. He flat right. out lied. So I think he needs to be punished for the lie. I don't Look, care if he's vaccinated or not. Right. He just needs to be punished for the lie. That's and it. I agree with that. I think, I think in, look, I think the vaccine mandate is going to be struck down. I just read something where it's being, there was a stay put, I guess, in Texas on it. There's going to be a lot of challenges. My company's not going back to like January or February. And look, that's a company that has thousands of employees across the country. And under the mandate, they're going to have a really big problem. You know, they're going to have a problem with their workforce in terms of, you know, Anybody over any corporation over 100 people, you know, you got to get vaccinated or tested on a weekly basis. And for some of these private companies, it's not like the fire department. It's not like the police department, which I think FDNY is up at 80, 80 percent. And I think uh, the police department's a little bit higher in New York City. Yeah. But, you know, those are civil service jobs, man. You know, you don't really have a lot of, you know, I guess, leeway when it comes to that kind of stuff when you're working for the government, whether it be state or federal. But when I'm working for a private corporation, man, it's a little bit different. And granted, I, I agree with you on Rogers. You know, I think the NFL is a private corporation, but at the end of the day, you know, listen, you know, follow the goddamn rules, follow the rules that the corporation sets. Don't, you know, don't try to get cute. And uh, although I do agree with some of his stuff that he said in terms of the quotes, I mean, I'm vaccinated, you're vaccinated. Um, I just think there's a really high double standard in the NFL when it comes to stuff and other stuff that, that's gone down throughout the years, but whatever. And with that, I think we'll call it a show. Wrap it up. Wrap it up, B. Uh, what plugs you got? All right, man. Uh, we got www.chrisclash.com. Uh, holiday season coming up. We also have the uh, uh, corporate type stuff. If you have a corporation, small business, whatever, and you're looking for a holiday party, I'm here. Uh, probably have a, about a month or two before I start to really get busy again. Um Check me out at www.chrisclash.com. Reach out to me on uh, my cell phone or Facebook me. Uh, please check out Jay Cristiano and Cardinal Financial at area code 844-442-7334. Use the uh, uh, promo code 4215. Also check out Tommy D, uh, Tommy Devitt's uh, place, Tommy D, um, the Mad Donkey on 36th Avenue in Astoria, New York, and Five Star Shopping by Tommy. Uh, if you uh, you don't feel like shopping and going into a potentially uh, COVID-infested environment, supermarket-wise or otherwise, check him out. He does everything for you. Pretty good service. That's what I got today, Mike. All right. I'm going to make mine quick. Uh, as always, Jack and I can paint <clears throat> on Instagram. Uh, Pat Dixon 
New York City Crime Report, the podcast, and on Compound Media, the Crime Report show he does every week at 7.30. Subscribe to Compound Media. Probematic on Twitch. Check that boob out. And uh, sad news, Christine Berg no longer doing shows at Dylan's. Uh, Christine, big, uh, big supporter of the show, big fan of her and her work, her husband, Aaron, real funny people. Check them out. She's funny Christine on Instagram. You can always check her out for her dates and show times. We'll see you guys next week. Don't overstay your welcome, folks. Don't overstay your welcome. Have a good weekend, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Later.